0: This morning's reading comes from the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 to 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thank you, Kerry. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, along with Isaiah, we are faced with your holiness. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And we just pray now as we come to consider Isaiah's encounter with you in his vision. Lord, would you speak to us? Holy Spirit, would you come and stir us? And would you send us out with your good news to those around us? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, everybody. I'm Andy. Uh, I'm the curate here at St. Paul's, and it's a joy to uh, be sharing as part of this series on encounters with God, looking at the prophet Isaiah. Now, Isaiah is sometimes called the fifth evangelist, the fifth gospel writer, um, because of all the Old Testament prophets, he just seems to encapsulate the person of Jesus really clearly, you know, whether that's the manner of his birth, born to a virgin, called Emmanuel, God with us, whether that's his death, pierced for our transgressions, and whether that's the inclusion of people who aren't Jewish, the Gentiles, in God's family. It's all there in Isaiah, I encourage you to read it, all 66 chapters, but we're just looking at this small part of chapter six uh, this morning. Um, and in this passage, Isaiah has this vision of God in the temple, and he's commissioned uh, as a prophet, you know, someone who sees and hears what God is doing uh, in and around him. And uh, I asked the prayer ministry team just to be praying over le- the last few weeks, um, and for any words or pictures, kind of as we come to look at the prophet Isaiah, um, I just want to share this, this picture, actually, just as we start. Um, they had a picture of a beautiful flower, and the sense that in the flower, the, kind of the nectar is deep down, and to get to the nectar, you have to go beyond the, kind of the pretty outside, um, down deep into the flower, um, and the nectar, it can be drunk both for yourself, but also shared with others, just as kind of bees go into the flower, they get the nectar, and they take it back to the hive. The community where it's turned into honey. And they had the verse from Psalm 34: Taste and see that the Lord is good. And may it be so for us this morning, you know, as we engage, as we go deep uh, in encounter with God along with Isaiah, um, this encounter that kick-started his ministry um, of prophecy, which blessed uh, and challenged those in his time and through history now that it's in the pages of the Bible as well. And the, the controlling context uh, of a passage from Isaiah this morning is the presence of God. And we've already been... Um, We've been kind of considering that, haven't we, as we've been worshipping, as, as Carolyn prayed at the start of her prayers just now, the presence, the holy presence of God. And you know, the scene here is thick with the presence of God. If you have a Bible or one's near you, why don't you turn to Isaiah 6 so you just track along as we go. But the scene is thick with the presence of God. God is seated high on a throne, lofty, exalted. It says, the one that always gets me is the train of his robe filled the temple. So in a sense that you kind of the robe, you kind of royalty, you will wear these, like the queen, wear kind of a long robe when you're processing um, along. And there's this sense that kind of the Lord's, the train of his robe just fills the whole place with his presence and his glories. Really mysterious and evocative imagery, isn't it? Uh, Isaiah sees that God is being like, attended and worshipped by these mysterious angelic beings, the seraphim, which in the Hebrew means kind of burning ones. Uh, they have six wings covering their face, covering their feet. Isaiah is clearly grasping at metaphors here to kind of describe the indescribable, the glory, the holiness of God. And the first thing we have to say about God's presence is that he is holy, uh, it's picked up in the passage, isn't it? What do the seraphim call out? They call out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. And holiness is a really key concept in the Bible. It means to be unique, you know, to be set apart. A helpful analogy I find of God's holiness is the sun. So we've got a slide, it's a picture of the sun, um, which we can pop up. And the sun is, you know, it's unique, at least in our solar system. It's powerful. It's a source of life and light. It affects the area around it. The closer you get, the more intense its presence becomes. But it's also dangerous. You know, it, it enables life to exist, but it's perilous. And the same is true of God's presence here. Uh, God's presence is one that impurity, sin. Evil just cannot exist, it kind of burns up in the presence of God's moral perfection and goodness. And in the Old Testament, the place of God's presence on earth was in the temple in Jerusalem. Uh, God dwelt in the midst of his people. But there had to be barriers to kind of protect the community, to protect you from direct contact with God's holy presence. And so God laid down instructions uh, to enable this to happen. He had priests who mediated, went into God's presence on behalf of the people to offer sacrifices. Um, And he had those sacrifices which meant you could deal with the consequences of sin. And Isaiah's vision takes place in the temple. This is the context that we're in. In God's presence, dangerous place to be. Isaiah is faced with the all-overwhelming presence of the Almighty God. And Isaiah's spiritual encounter happens at a really significant moment. It's in the year that King Uzziah died. And if you want to find out more about Uzziah, you can read it in uh, 2 Chronicles 26. Um, But basically, Uzziah was a king in Judah and he had been faithful to God's ways. In terms of the little grade card he received uh, in the Bible, which all the kings seem to get, he did quite well. Um, he looked to God for guidance, and God blessed him and his reign. He reigned for over 50 years, and it was a time which was kind of characterized by expanding territory, cultural and economic uh, growth, at peace for the people, but... At the height of his power, Uzziah made a terrible mistake. He began to think that it all revolved around him. And so he decided, actually, rather than letting the priests pray and offer sacrifice for him in the temple, he was going to do it himself. He thought, God has blessed me. I'm good enough to go into his presence and offer prayers for myself and sacrifice for himself. And so he bursts into the temple. He he grabs the kind of censer to offer incense before God. And he's immediately struck with this leprous skin disease. Like going too close to the sun, he gets burned. He gets scarred. And tragically, uh, because leprosy was uh, a contagious and unclean uh, disease, that meant that Uzziah actually... Not only was barred for life from the temple, but also he was an outcast from society. For the rest of his days, he was quarantined in his house. His son took over the kingship. and that was the rest of his experience. Uh, he went unworthily and presumptuously into God's presence, and he was burned. And now Isaiah has his vision in the temple. He's in the same place that Isaiah kind of burst into. And so the stakes are really high. Like, Isaiah is really aware of what the consequences are for being in God's holy presence. Um, I want to put up just a little piece of art uh, about Isaiah 6, which really kind of has spoken to me. It's by a Christian artist called Chris Powers, who Uh, Does lots of kind of art from the Bible, and this is kind of just captures something of the the majesty and the awe that Isaiah experiences in uh, this vision. So I just want to track through uh, Isaiah's journey in his encounter. First is fear. Isaiah's first reaction is fear. Verses four and five. At the sound of the seraphim's voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. You know, Isaiah knew what happened if you found yourself in the presence of God, the holiest part of the temple. And, you know, if you weren't a priest or you hadn't done the necessary sacrifices, he knew about Uzziah's experience of going into that place. So, and when Isaiah says, I'm ruined, uh, the Hebrew word comes from damah, which means to be silent. It's kind of like the idea of the kind of eerie silence that falls on a place, on a town after a disaster. And it makes me think of... Uh, the Ukrainian town or city of Chernobyl, which in the 1980s, you know, um, it's well-known uh, nuclear power disaster happened and it irradiated part of the city and it's uninhabited to this day. Kind of silence. And the reason why is, you know, Isaiah knows before the presence of the perfectly good and holy God's. You know, he's in a dangerous place. He is sinful. I'm a man of unclean lips. I shouldn't be here. And where Isaiah starts, I think, is really instructive for us uh, in our encounters with God and how we approach God. The fear of the Lord is a common kind of concept in the Bible. It's mentioned over 300 times, most famously in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, Proverbs 9, verse 10. And it's not just in the Old Testament that we get this fear of God. We also see it um, at the beginning of Revelation. John, the Apostle John, who walked with Jesus, who is the disciple who Jesus loved, when he sees a vision of Jesus in his glory, his first reaction is to fall to his feet as though dead. He knows the fear of the Lord. But it's not a terror or a phobia that we're talking about here. In the Bible, the fear of the Lord is like a healthy reverence. It's an awe, it's a respect of God and his majesty and his goodness, which far surpasses our own. And in nature, there's often sage advice which is given, uh, kind of outdoors instructors and others will give to respect respect the water, respect the weather, respect the mountain. There's a sense that there's something here that's powerful, that's different, that's uncontrollable, that's worthy of a kind of healthy fear, one that keeps us from being complacent. C.S. Lewis really beautifully captures the idea of the fear of the Lord in the Chronicles of Narnia. When the children learn that Aslan, who, who represents Jesus, is a lion, they ask, is he safe? And the answer comes, who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. And that's true of God. I think that's so true. He isn't safe, but he is good. He is the king. And so when Isaiah finds himself in God's presence, he's immediately aware of his own sinfulness, and that should go for all of us as well. It's why we have a time of confession when we gather together on a Sunday, a chance to make things right with the Lord, and not to make light about coming into his presence to worship. So let's approach God like Isaiah with this healthy fear knowing that God isn't safe, but he is good. Let's not be like Uzziah, who who approached with pride and complacency and self-reliance. Let's do that when we're in church, when when we're during the week in our quiet times, when we're asking God for help. Let's come to him with some of the fear of the Lord. So firstly, fear. Secondly, fire. Fire. Second thing that happens is fire. Verses 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand which he'd taken with tongs from the altar and with it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Here's the thing. Isaiah's encounter starts with fear but it doesn't end there. God immediately takes the initiative, and moves to deal with Isaiah's sin, to reconcile, to draw close. And the coal that touches Isaiah's lips comes from the altar, altar in the temple, which is the place of sacrifice. This is the place where sin is paid for. In the Old Testament, this was done through animal sacrifice on the altar. And to come into God's presence in the temple, that required even more sacrifice it's a reminder that grace and forgiveness from God is costly. You know, it cost a life, the animal sacrifice, and it cost the life of God's son, Jesus, And he came to die for us, put himself on the altar for us. You know, as Paul writes in Romans, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And as Isaiah has his sin taken away by the coal from the altar, that's a a prefiguring of the divine son, Jesus, coming down to meet us, to touch us. He's the one who stepped down from the glory of heaven with his father and stepped onto the altar in our stead to make us holy and pure, able to be in God's presence. Wow. And the image here is like a burning that burns away impurities. I wonder, have you ever experienced a bush or a forest fire, kind of firsthand? Um, I I grew up some of my years and my childhood uh, living in India, South India, where my parents were missionaries. And I'll never forget we went on a kind of school camping trip, and while we were out doing various activities, one day we discovered that the forest was on fire. Uh, now fortunately, because of the, the pattern of the monsoon, uh, there's a big lake bed that was dry. So we all kind of rushed into this lake bed in the middle of this forest. And we kind of were stuck there for several hours just watching this forest burn. And you know, the fire burns everything away. Uh, I just remember watching kind of it spreading um, over the horizon. And the thing is, that there's something about the power of fire there, isn't there? When Jesus reaches to us, there's no sin, there's no fear, there's no hurt that he can't burn away. When that coal touches Isaiah's lips, you know, his sin is dealt with, not partially, not almost, not just give it another few seconds, uh, but fully, and forgiveness isn't something that we earn from God either. It's given freely to us. It's given freely to Isaiah and to us. You know, Isaiah isn't told, stand up or come, come to the altar or, you know, pray or worship or say this or do that. He's met right where he is by God. God sends the angel to him and cleanses him. And God meets you, meets me where we are you know, God, when we confess our sins to Him, He's not going to hold it over us. He's going to cleanse us and forgive us and receive us into His presence. What good news. I just have two kind of questions for us to ask ourselves. The first is, are you experiencing, have you experienced that fire of God's love for you? The love that sent Jesus to be born into the world for you, to seek you, save you, shape you, because that is the love that God has for you and for me. And the second question I have is, is there something that's preventing you from being sent out by God? Something in your heart, something in your past, something around you? God wants to deal with it. He wants to heal you, to purify you, that he might send you out with the good news, just as he sent Isaiah, the good news for others. So we've had fear and fire, and the final stage is freedom. Verse 8, then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. What a transformation has taken place in Isaiah, affected by God. He's gone from crying out, I'm ruined, I'm silenced, I'm sinful, to giving God a blank check to do whatever, wherever, however. Isaiah gets this glimpse of God's redemptive purposes in the world, and he wants in. How about you and me? You know, he's found himself in God's presence. He's confessed his brokenness and his complicity with sin. He's been forgiven by the costly grace of God. And now he's sent out as a witness to the world to tell of what God's done for him and what God is doing in his community and in the world and in the future. So how about for us? How much more for us Those of us who, we live on this side of history, this side of the cross, we know of Jesus who's come, uh, died, raised again. We've received uh, the Holy Spirit, been sent out in power. I just want to pause for a moment and um, ask each one of us, where in your life do you feel least uh, equipped or least able to share Good news, the good news of Jesus. It could, could be in the workplace or on campus or at school, in your family, in your neighborhood, maybe all of them. But God wants to send you and me, He wants to use you. He wants to partner with you. He wants to do it in your context, with your family, at your workplace, in your friendships, in your hobbies, in your responsibilities. He wants to do it with your voice, with your lips, your story, your heart. And he wants to do it with your means, your skills, your position, your possessions, your influence. And he's not gonna force any of us to this because God offers us freedom but he is going to give you and I opportunities to say yes, just as Isaiah did. It's worth noting that Isaiah's prophetic messages uh, weren't always cheery. Um, Just in the rest of this chapter, in chapter 6, the first message God has to give Isaiah is one of judgment. But Jesus Jesus Christ is always woven throughout chapter 7 Emmanuel God with us chapter 9 unto us a child is born chapter 11 the righteous branch etc over the next 50 chapters but what God has for you and me to say and do in our context when we're sent by him it's not always going to be popular it's not always going to be well received it's going to be countercultural So, what might God be commissioning you to do in your context, and, and us as a church in ours? You know, as society continues to open up, what are the, where are the places that the Lord is putting on your heart to send you to, to for you to get involved in? Uh, and as we at St Paul's uh, grow into being a mission hub church, what does that mean for us? Where are the opportunities? in our local area, that we can be discerning together. And we need prophetic eyes to see and discern how God is leading us and where as we seek to be sent out by him. And the word mission itself comes from the Latin, to be sent. We're to be sent by God with good news to those around us. Uh, in a moment, we're going to uh, celebrate Holy Communion together, and here we remember what uh, Jesus won for us on the cross. And just as Isaiah received the impartation of redeemed life, so let's also receive from God as we come forward. As we receive the bread and the wine, you know Jesus died for us to save us from sin and to send us out into the world with good news. And so as we receive communion this morning, might you dare to say with Isaiah, here am I, send me. I also believe that uh, the Lord wants to grow and release gifts uh, in the prophetic, in seeing and hearing from him, in words and pictures and dreams and visions uh, amongst us here at St. Paul's. As Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. And so as we've considered Isaiah's encounter with God, I just want to offer, uh, we would love to pray with you, our prayer ministry team, during communion, after you've received, if you'd like prayer for for either of these things, sent out and for the gift of prophecy. We would love to pray for you and with you. Uh, What we'll do is after you receive uh, communion at the front, if you just make your way to the back of church on the left by the spiral stairs, um, there'll be prayer ministry team there who would love um, to pray with you to commission you. Let's pray uh, before we uh, sing, we worship, and we come to communion. Heavenly Father, we've tracked through the encounter that Isaiah had with you, that vision that you gave him of fear of the Lord. Would you grow that in us? Don't let us be complacent in our walk with you, Lord. In the fire, the fire of Forgiveness, the fire of your great love for us, may we experience that more and more. And in the freedom to be sent out by you, to hear from you, to be close to your heart, to have your spirit fill us and send us and empower us. We say, Lord, here are we, send us,